Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Kevin Johnson program as we study, profile, and spotlight the creative community of arts, culture, and entertainment here in South Florida. We'd like to thank you very much for listening. You can always find us on anchor.fm forward slash kevjohnpro. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, also under kevjohnpro. So our next guest at this time, and this is kind of a departure for me because this is a community that I've always wanted to explore, but never got a chance to really delve into. And so I thought I would reach out to this person and hopefully they can assist. So I'd like to welcome Miss Aurora Natrix to the program. And she is a burlesque performer, and I'm sure that she will elaborate a little more in reference to what she does how she came to be, and things like that. So first off, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to speak with me. Well, thank you for inviting me. It was a, it's a lovely surprise to have your email wanting to know a bit more about burlesque. Well, uh, just to give you full disclosure, I am a producer of live performance. So what I do is I recruit variety acts like musicians, dancers, all different types of performers, comedians, singers, uh, theater actors, and we put on different programs for theatrical events as well as community events. And we actually did reach out to a burlesque performer. This was a few years ago. And you may actually know of this person. Uh, her name is Izzy Rich. Uh, she belongs to a group called the Glamour Goddesses. Yes, absolutely. I think they, I'm not sure if they're still doing burlesque, but I remember that I think they were further north, like maybe West Palm or yes. Tonka area. They're, yeah, but I, ha I haven't worked with her personally. Okay, okay. Well, the reason why I wanted to reach out is because I wanted to, you know, find out more about not only the community of burlesque that is here in South Florida, but also just how you, uh, you know, are able to create a well-run market here and a popular market. And it just seems that it's, uh, it's popular. I don't necessarily know if it's profitable. That's probably something that you can delve into. But I am sure that it is popular. But I figure let's start with you yourself. Uh, it sounds that uh, you are British. So, yes. yes, where are you originally from? Um, I was born in London. Um, I moved here when I was a kid, and I've uh, grown up mostly in Miami, but I go back and forth to London whenever I can, and I'll, I'll actually be there in a week, so I'm quite excited, because uh, it's been it's been a couple of years since I've been back. But, yeah, so I'm, I'm originally from London, and I use the tagline, the British Invasion. Okay. Uh, to, you know, the, it's a common phrase that, you know, the British Invasion, so I thought I'd make a little tongue-in-cheek and bring it into my character. Okay. Now, how did it all start? Uh, did you have any dance training when you were uh, growing up? Yes and no. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I took ballet classes when I was very, very young. I, I took some modern, modern and contemporary and jazz. Was I good at it? Not really. Um, but what, how I started burlesque, was I was go-go dancing in like goth alternative nightclubs here in Miami in the early 2000s. And 
I was approached by a friend uh, who was starting a kind of a fusion of a cabaret burlesque night up in West Palm Beach. And he asked me if I would be part of the show. And I told him, no, I'm not interested. Thank you. Because oh. uh, I've always been pretty shy. And so I told him no. <laughs> because it was it's a strip tease. Burlesque is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the history of burlesque, but I, right. think I, can, go into, I can go into that a bit as well. Please. Um, so, but before I get into that, but yeah, so it, it is a striptease down, typically, that that's not the entire uh, entity of what burlesque is, uh, but it is a very strong element. So, but a little bit of the history, just to preface, so you understand, uh, burlesque really got its start in the late 1800s in England, and it was brought over to America, and it had its heyday here in the States in the 1920s, the 1940s, and then also in the 50s, and by the time the 60s rolled around, the definition of burlesque started to change a little bit. Um, it was always these like really big variety shows, and they would have um, showgirls doing big choreographed routines, they would have the comedians, um, musical acts, and they would have the, the strippers, the girls that would remove garments, and they had right. little featured numbers. And so now, when we think of burlesque, um, a lot of it comes down to what the, the girls did, the burlesque performers. Um, so I was already, I already knew of what burlesque was because I'd heard of Dita Von Teese and I knew about her since about 95. And I saw her perform in 2001 and I, I absolutely loved the art form. I was just very, very shy. Um, and so when he approached me, I was like, I did not. Hmm. <laughs> Um, and then he, he called me up, and I'll never forget this. I was, I was, I think I was living at my parents at the time. Either way, I was standing in the living room, and he called me up, and he's like, Look, Aurora, my main girl that I booked for it, she's broken her leg. I have no one else. I'm begging you just, just do it once. If you hate it, I'll never ask you again. And, and the reason he approached me is because I worked, I go good out to a lot of the same clubs, and we would do like different performance vignettes, but there was no stripping. So he knew I was already very comfortable on stage as a performer. This is just another element. So I said, fine, you owe me, though. <laughs> uh. And that's how I, how I got into burlesque. And I made my debut and the last, I think it was like the last Saturday of January in 2004. And I was probably terrible, but I had so much fun. And I guess you could say I got bit by the bug. And here we are now. 15 years later. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> now, um, if you don't mind me asking, is this your living wage? Is this your uh, full time? Uh, you're you're a full time performer now. Yes, I am, and I have been for a few years. Um, obviously, it's had its ups and downs, but um, I, I, what's really essential in burlesque, and the only real way you can make a career at it, is by being very versatile. And when I say versatile, I'm, I mean you know keeping your I guess you're always on the go. So I, I, I do perform, but I also produce burlesque shows. And then I also teach burlesque from time to time. And I make accessories to sell. And so I do a lot, my, my, I wear a lot of hats. And one of those that's really important to me is being as a small business owner, which is the umbrella for every creative venture that I do. So I think that's why I have been one of the few that's been able to make it a success but it, it's not easy it's been a lot of sweat and tears and 
especially lately, it's been, uh, I think, a bit more difficult to make a living doing it because we've lost a lot of the cabarets and the venues that we had here. Mm-hmm. Um, closed down or they eliminated the, the performance part of their nightclub because the market of it has been fluctuating. But we've slowly, it, it's been like this for years. I, I've been, I've, got, I've had the privilege of seeing how the scene ebbs and flows and so I think we're coming back slowly. It's starting to build again, and hopefully we'll have another little resurgence down here. Now, where did you come up with the name Aurora Natrix? Well, Aurora is my legal name. Um, so I thought I was being really clever. <laughs> and <laughs> with um, my, the same part of my name, Natrix, I, I grew up, not grew up, but I, I started working, you know, in golf clubs and also performed in fetish clubs. So I thought... Matrix, Dominatrix, sort of thing. Got it. Got it. But, yeah, and it was also a play on words. So originally, I came up with the name long before I was performing. Um, and the reason why I have the name Aurora is not the reason why I use the name Aurora for performance. So, Aurora is the, uh, the name that the Russian Revolution, the ship that it began on, was named the Aurora. Um, so that's why I have the name Aurora. But as regard to burlesque, I kept Aurora and I had a Natrix because I felt like Aurora is the goddess of the dawn. Dawns are all about fresh beginnings and innocence. And I figured the opposite of innocence is like a dominatrix. Of course. So I, like the, I like the juxtaposition of Aurora and Natrix. And that's how I came up with that. Now, did you have to create a specific persona for the act? I, I never did, and I still haven't. I, I feel that when I'm on stage, it's more like my ego run, <laughs> run crazy. Uh, but it's me. It's not. I, I, there are a lot of performers that need to have a, a, a separation between their character on stage and who they are in real life. Um, I am a different person on stage in the sense that I'm, I'm much more confident. I'm I'm owning everyone that's in, in the audience and I'm sucking up all the love and there's just a different energy and if I'm off stage and I'm not if I, once I take my lashes off I think the lashes are like the carpet's glasses um, of the opposite so when the lashes are on at my, my Superman I, I feel invincible and when they're off it's more uh, I'm more quiet and shy mm. and I, I'm I'm more happy to, to blend in in a corner and just be left alone. Um, but it's not necessarily that I'm a different person on stage. It's just a different side of me comes out, if that makes sense. Okay. All right. Now, when you do go out of town and you book your performances, I take it that you have you do it yourself as opposed to a specific management that does it for you? Yes, I am a one-woman <laughs> show in every way. I'm uh, sure after 15 years, you had to build that something. <laughs> yeah, although I do have friends, and I'm not going to, to 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 name them, that have been known to create fake names and say that they're their agents, <laughs> so that it sounds more like official when they're booking. So um, I have not done that, personally. <laughs> But I, have, I do know quite a few friends that pretend to have an agent, and just it's just them with a different name. Ah. Um, yeah, it's, it's easy to get taken more seriously, because as a performer, you know, I'm taking my clothes off on stage. Of course. Just, what, I ha- what 
what happens quite often is that I show up and I, I'm the producer of the show and I employ um, anywhere from 20 to 30 performers that I rotate throughout the year and I also have my resident MC and I have a sound person that I work with and so I have my team and often when I roll in it's usually with my MC who is a, a guy and my sound person is also a, a, a guy and by default the venues always think that the men are in charge so I'm or, it's already enough when it comes to um, getting respect whether I'm booking myself for a tour or, you know, showing up at a venue. But the one blessing that I have is that in burlesque, it's such a, a woman-dominated industry that nine times out of ten, the producers are also other women. Um, and that's made it much easier for me to find success in this, especially when I travel. So I just send out an email blast to all the producers I know, like, let's say if I'm going to New York or wherever I'm going, um, if it's a city I know, I already have a whole list of producers, some that I've worked with, some that I haven't. And I send a bunch of emails and it's back and forth and hopefully I get the booking because if not, then, you know, I have a nice holiday. <laughs> Understood. But, yeah, it's a lot of research. It's like the five minutes that I spent on stage performing, it's like an 80-hour work week to get there. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Now... Take me to a time where the you really had to fight in order to get respect from other performers, from other genres of performers who didn't necessarily take burlesque seriously. Because some may think that burlesque only happens in a bar or a club as opposed to you can, you know, create it as a theatrical event and put it in an auditorium. So have you ever well, run into a, a difficult time? Um, I've been very privileged, uh, and not, not too many troubles, but, you know, I, I, I've done a lot of shows in theaters, some of the most incredible theaters in the world, I've been really lucky, and then I've also done shows in, in some of the most dingy dive bars, and you know what, I have just as much fun in either venue, <laughs> sometimes more fun in the dive bar, so I think burlesque is one of those uh, things that's very versatile. Um, but as far as gaining respect, I, I don't feel like I've really had to struggle for that. I have been in situations, and fairly recently, like I've been doing this for a long time, but I'd say in the last, like, two years ago, I was working at a cabaret, and one girl on the show who is a trained dancer, like, and I have so much respect for trained dancers that can do these incredible things in their body that I cannot and probably never will be able to do, but she was very, very rude to me until she saw my costume and until she saw me perform. And after that, she was very nice, but just coming into it, hearing that I was a burlesque performer, there was, there was a lot of attitude there. But, you know, burlesque is it's fun. You can't take it seriously. And I, don't, I, don't, I try not to take too much else around it seriously either. Aside from the business, which I take very seriously. Is there a stigma, you might say, of, and I'm sure this is across the board as well, but being a producer that you actually had to set some of your performers straight that were kind of like falling off the beaten path, like showing up late, being unprofessional, you know, what, what steps did you take in reference to rearing them in? Uh, well, I you know I'm not their mother. So we are all professionals in this business and I, I expect people to act that way and show up. And I, I think, 
people know how I run my shows by now, so I haven't had too many problems. Um, so as long as you show you, you're not an asshole, you do a good job, I'm, I'm pretty lenient regarding things. I, ha- I did have one situation with a performer, and I'm not going to get into the details about it, but I did suspend them for uh, several months, um, um, you know, just based on what they they, they cancelled super last minute on me, and it was not professional, and, and they know it, and they were very apologetic about it afterwards. At the time, though, I, I booked, I replaced them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have no problem, I'm not going to reward bad behavior by keep giving someone a booking um, if they're not doing their part, so I, I don't mind being that person. <laughs> Right. I, I, I could be I could be the bitch all day long, but that, that, it's not to be a bitch. It's to to keep this industry respectful and professional. Now, how large is the South Florida burlesque market as opposed to other markets in other regions? Um. Do you mean Do you mean like how? Can you rephrase the question? Sorry. Do you mean like how many performers are there, or like for instance, yeah. Well, uh, okay, so as far as, like, I know that it's a popular uh, situation here in South Florida because it just seems that I see different events uh, by different troops. But as far as, like, you know, how, how many performers do you have that you work with uh, on an ongoing basis in the sense that, you know, they have their groups that can intertwine with your groups? Yeah. Um, as far as that, I feel like we have a very intimate scene here in South Florida. It used to be quite big. Uh, when I first started, we, we were the first troop in South Florida, and a year later there was another troop, and then I ended up joining another troop in 2008, and then it, it seemed overnight there was like 10 troops down here. It was a bit crazy, but it was also a different time. Nobody worked together. Nobody would you know be in each other's shows and uh, not not to pat myself on the back or anything like that but I, I i saw a bigger potential there i thought you know if we're all working together instead of against each other there's so much more potential for growth both on um, a marketability level as well as financial and just a cultural way to expand for less to others because we had in, we had issues with like one thing one to perform at one venue and then another troop trying to steal that venue and undercutting. And the only person that wins in that situation is the venue. Because <laughs> if you're undercutting another performer, yeah, you're getting the gig, but you're making less money. Mm-hmm. So I don't mm-hmm. see the sense in that. Um, so there was a great deal of growing pains down here, but it took about, I'd say about two years before we were all working with each other. And we really have an absolutely fantastic community down here. Um, unfortunately, I would say a good five to ten performers have moved to other states, cities, or even countries. So we are now a much more intimate group. Um, but what's really cool about our scene is that, yes, there's performers here in Miami and Fort Lauderdale and West Palm, but we all book each other in other cities as well. So I'll get girls down from Orlando or Tampa, Gainesville, and vice versa. It's quite common for me to go and do shows in those cities as well. Um, So keeping communications open has made a huge difference in the community. So I know that now, um, due to this day and age, you have to watch out for harassment. Not saying that you hadn't had to watch out for it before, but... 
not only do you have to watch out for harassment by people that are outside of the community, I don't necessarily know if anyone has put together any guidelines for harassment within the community. Um, there have been something stirring. However, we do not have a, what's the word, um, a union for burlesque. So there's not a one set of rules to govern the entire community of burlesque throughout the world. I, each troupe has their own, or each, I don't have a troupe, I have a review, so when I say troupe, it's usually a, a group of core members, and they don't really rotate other performers in or out. Um, as a review, I'm booking all people, and I do have a code of conduct for my shows. Harassment has not been a big issue. Harassment is usually more a situation where an audience member feels like they can be a little bit more handsy. Mm-hmm. But my MC is there, the first thing they, they tell the, the guess is that they cannot touch the performers. Um, it is made very clear, and it's also dealt with very quickly if it does happen. Um, I'm sure there have been instances where things have slipped through, but, you know, there's a, definitely a tide in things changing. Like, I, lo- I noticed last night I was at an event, and a gentleman asked to take a photo with me, and he put his hand, like, on my waist for a second, and then he pulled it away really quickly, like he realized maybe that's not correct. And I, I noticed... That I thought it was, it was very poignant because it hasn't happened too often. Usually, I have to tell gentlemen or whoever don't go south of the equator because sometimes people get a little handsy. But mm-hmm. women are also to blame because I've had, I think, equal amount of women at shows that think it's completely appropriate to go and touch a performer in private areas but just because we have the same parts. But that's not, you know, not permissible. Regarding harassment within. The scene, Florida, off the top of my head right now, and I I could absolutely be wrong, but I can't think of a specific incident. Um, Nationally, there have been a few, and we have tried to deal with it as a community on a global level. So there have been a lot of conversations that have been happening. Okay. Um, Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Good. Because, of course, everyone wants to definitely respect each other as performers but as well as people too yes so um now due to the fact that of course you have to provide yourself a lot of conditioning because you're up there on stage you're performing and then there's also an image factor as well so uh i i take it that uh are you you know going to the gym once or twice a day uh, do you, you know, watch what you eat, things like that? So, and yes, I would ask a man the same thing. Say that, say that one more time. I, I would ask a man the same thing. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm going to correct. So the thing about burlesque is that we are so open to all different body types, um, as well as ages, genders. Um, it, it, we try to be really inclusive. So the stress on the physicality, on how a body looks more marketable or not, is not an issue in burlesque. Now, whether I go to the gym or not really has nothing to do with what I do and what I bring on stage. Personally, though, I do prefer a certain aesthetic for my own body, but I don't expect that for any other performer. I I will book, you know, performers with all different body types because Mm -hmm. the audiences really love to see themselves reflected on stage. And it's same same thing with POC. Like we it, we have a very limited amount of POC performers in Florida, aside from Latin Hispanic. 
and it's been POC meaning persons of color. Yes. Okay. Persons of color. Okay. Where they're black, uh, Indian, um, more Asian, we just don't we lack diversity in our area because the performers are predominantly Hispanic, Latin, or white. Uh, it is slowly growing. We have some fantastic uh, POC performers. Uh, there's like one, <laughs> one in Gainesville, there's one in Orlando, like they're, they're just kind of scattered. And I think it's because this community was really built on an alternative lifestyle, which might not have been as a- approachable, I guess, for minorities that it, that it is for, like, like I guess the, I'm trying to explain, like the pinup culture um, is not something that's necessarily as popular like 20 years ago for minorities. Uh, one of those reasons is because they didn't see themselves reflected in it. So I think as far as body types specifically, which is what your question was about, how often I go to the gym, eh, I personally, sometimes I go five times a week. Then you've got last week where I didn't go once. So for me, I do prefer to stay in shape just because I make my own costumes. And if I don't stay within a certain range, they don't fit. And I don't want to, I'm too lazy. I don't want to be making new costumes. (laughs) Of course not. Of course not. I also love food. So I work out, what I do work out a lot is just so I can eat more. (laughs) Ah, ah. Now you say you make your own costumes. So... Like, for instance, how long does it take to create a costume for yourself? Or for, uh, do you create costumes for your for your uh, review as well? Um, so, I can't give you any simple answers today. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it, the length really fluctuates. I have costumes that I stayed in 24 to 48 hours. And then I have a costume I just posted on Instagram. I just posted a little story of it where I spent about three and a half years making the costume on a real slow process. So it really depends on the vision and the deadline and whether there's a fire on my ass to get it done or not. Um, as far as making costumes for the review, we, when, when I book performers, I book each individual acts. I've only like created one group number and I did make the costumes for that, but I, don't, I tend to just book really strong performers that have amazing acts and they showcase their own talents on stage. And I, you know, only focus on my costumes currently. AKA, bring your own stuff. Bring your own shit. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's more of a, I just, uh, I, I'm feel, I, I probably don't give myself enough credit when it comes to costuming. Um, I, I would feel very nervous making costumes for other people. It's very stressful for me because I'm a control freak. Ah. <laughs> yeah, so. So but when yeah, you. So I do make them for myself. I make everything. I hand dye the feathers. I make my own corsets from scratch. I used to make my own bras, which that just was dumb. It's easy just to recover a bra. Um, pretty much everything head to toe that you see on stage, I made. And it's uh, it's a part of control thing. <laughs> but it's also, I take a lot of pride in it. I love being able to see uh, my vision come to life. And it's uh, one of my favorite parts of burlesque. Okay. So other than, um, you know, performing, um, what else do you do in order? I mean, I, I take it that in order to make ends meet, like, like we were saying before, this is your full time, uh, this is your full time gig. So let me spin this off into another question. 
uh, how often do you gig? Is it like five times a week? Is it like you're, you know, getting, you know, once a month? I mean, do you put together something in the middle of the uh, time in order to give yourself a break even? Just to know that um, you uh, have uh, you're you're having a steady stream of income really, I'm sure, helps a lot. It, it does. Um, like I said, it hasn't been as steady this year. So this is actually the first year I've just been like, huh, maybe I need <laughs> maybe I need to supplement with something else. So I've been trying to figure out how to. I, I don't want to glamorize things at the top where everyone's like, oh my gosh, I must be. So it's fantastic to be a ballet performer. So much money, this and that. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And then when the money's not there, it's very stressful. Of course. Um, and so I'm, I'm getting to that point in my life where I'm really trying to think of the future and what burlesque holds for me in that. Um, I, I just turned 38 in August. So 40 is around the corner. Well, congratulations. Like, Thank you. <laughs> Um, and, and yeah, with 40 around the corner, actually, I still have quite a few friends that are in their 40s that are still going doing burlesque and are killing it. Like, they're amazing. But I also want to, you know, look to the future and make sure I have something for retirement. And burlesque doesn't come with a dental plan, you know? Like, there's no, there's no safety there. Like, I pay for my own insurance, but I, while I've been able to pay for my bills, um, and I've been able to buy a house and... I have a car and I have all the essentials, but I really just want to be forward thinking for the future, making sure that when I go to retire, because I, I might be able to still be performing burlesque at the age of 70, but I don't think I'll be able to make a living to it, doing it. So I need to make sure I'm secure for the future. And that's been my concern this, this last year. I've been really focusing on that and how I can translate all the skills I've developed running my own business as a burlesque performer producer and everything else in between into another career in the future well that segue right well that's actually a nice segue in order to kind of uh button this up is that what does the future hold for burlesque because of course we have the live performance component but of course if anyone wanted to learn how to do burlesque because of course is it, there seems to be a uh, a dichotomy when it comes to burlesque. It's not just glorified stripping. I'm sure that there's like a perfect art to this. So when so like um, like for instance, uh, you see the movie with Cher and Christina Aguilera, and I'm sure that there was a lot of pushback behind that because you know. 
was that true burlesque? Is that real burlesque? Or is it is it is it really that what what really goes on in that? So I think I think when you start getting to labels, things can get really muddy really quickly, um, especially with the argument versus true stripping and true burlesque or whatever. It's all stripping. You're all taking your clothes off. But uh, personally, I think the movie burlesque was already made and it was called Cabaret and they couldn't find another name, so they used burlesque. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, so I actually, I saw that movie... I was on tour at the time. I was on tour with the Pretty Things Peep Show, which was a vaudeville-style burlesque variety show. And we were all going all across North America. And I saw it. We, we, we basically did shows like five nights a week in a different city every night. And we would have maybe, if we were lucky, we'd have a day off. Sometimes two, but usually it was five nights and then maybe a day off and then another six or seven nights. And we had stopped for Thanksgiving weekend in one of the performers' hometowns. And we stayed there for Thanksgiving and we went this whole troop of burlesque performers and Sword Swallow and Fire Breather uh, went to go see the movie Burlesque and you know it's an entertaining film it's a musical but it's not it doesn't really capture the true essence of what I would say modern day burlesque is Okay. but mo- modern burlesque shows are not all one tone so there's a fantastic show out in Naples Glambat Burlesque that they do a lot of vignettes and sometimes there's striptease elements, sometimes there isn't. But I will tell you that it's been great for business. <laughs> Unfortunately, there is an education involved when they have, you know, to explain that there's more of a striptease element to it. Um, but, you know, some people, they get it or they don't get it. And as far as like strip pub stripping and, and burlesque, a lot of strippers in the strip clubs also work in burlesque. I'd say the difference is, and someone made a joke about this, this is not my original thought, is that burlesque performers get paid a little money to look very expensive and wear very expensive costumes and strip club dancers wear very cheap costumes and make a lot more money at it. (laughs) Right. uh, From my take on it, I think the difference is that being in a strip club is more of a sales marketing job. Um, you're, you're, you're playing to the male gaze, whereas in burlesque shows, it's a lot more. A lot of the times, it's a lot more women in the audience, and it's um, there's a, more. Of, it's more focused on the tease. And but they're both super valid. I'd say they're like sisters, you know. <laughs> right. But you know, if someone wants to pay me more, call burlesque or whatever. <laughs> so. No, Uh, I figure that also when you are doing these workshops, there has to be like this feeling of empowerment for for women who want to get up on stage and want to present themselves and want to feel bold and want to feel uh, like uh, like their their true individual selves. Correct. Yeah. Your question originally was how does how do you does one get into burlesque? Correct. I think that's what you were asking before. Well, I really was. Yeah, I really was actually focused on like you were talking about the future. I was just trying to figure out what what the future holds for burlesque in the sense that you know with like we'll we'll say for instance with uh, movies. Uh, where yeah. everything is now being pulled back for convenience. 
people don't necessarily go out to the movie theaters anymore. They can just have it on their phone. And I like for right. So like for instance, like you're saying before, you have an ebb and flow when it comes to seasons. And then also yeah. it's like what do you do when uh the performance component uh kind of slows down? Do you go out and do you do more instruction in reference to uh burlesque? Uh, what what happens after that once you, you know, feel like you don't want to be on the boards anymore, you want to be behind the scenes? You know, where yeah. does that... Let's let's go back and say, where does that future hold for you as Aurora Natrix? <laughs> I'm asking myself that question every day. Um, I, for me personally, I don't see myself retiring from burlesque in the near future. Um, I think it's going to be a part of my life for quite a while. However, I am trying to transition. I, I have a degree in, in music business, creative production, um, and that kind of has been the backbone for how I've built my business. Um, so I have a, a lot of these like really essential skills that are super useful, but I have to translate that into a career somehow, aside from burlesque. So I'll probably keep doing shows on the weekends, but daytime, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe event planning, um, definitely something I'd love to say in the creative side. I, I've, I've done like talent management for companies down here. Um, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, literally, I literally am in the process of trying to figure out what direction to take this in, aside from this, because I'm, I'm really lucky, and I've done that. I've built a really fantastic career and name for myself down here as a ballast performer, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, as far as other people breaking into burlesque, um, when I started, there wasn't a, no burlesque classes. There wasn't even a YouTube. Like, YouTube had just, like, started, like, towards the end of the year after I'd already began. But now there are so many avenues for someone, if they're interested in burlesque, to pursue it. Uh, I don't teach any classes regularly, but I am available for one-on-one consultations and classes and carriage development. And I will do workshops about quarterly throughout the year, and I also do them for private events, like if a group of women want to have a girls' night in, or do a, like a bachelorette party, I have done classes for that. So I think the real um, essential energy of burlesque is very DIY, and you have to be prepared to work hard to make it in this industry, and to really have that drive and that fire to do it yourself. Um, and if you don't have that, I have a hard time imagining you building a career out of it. You might be able to be uh, a hobbyist with it, which there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but classes are not necessary to get into this business. However, I would recommend 150% to take as many classes as you can in as many fields and industries as you can, whether uh, ballet or jazz or uh, hip-hop dancing or a- anything that you can then translate or even like improv classes all of it can be applied to burlesque and to also take as, no matter how far in your career you should always be taking classes with people whenever you can uh, we just don't have a formal burlesque school down here like some other cities do um, and there's a pro and a con to that so it's, uh, you really needed more of a go-getter energy down here for that. But we're really open in terms of providing 
access to other performers that are starting out. Like, I'm an open book. People write me all the time asking questions about costumes or this and that. And if you're not there to give knowledge, like, I I don't need to take this knowledge to the grave. It's not going to do me anything. Um, So I'm always happy to help where I can. But I I, I only want to help people that want to help themselves, if that makes sense. Understood. Um, So in the meantime, in the meantime, if people want to contact you, if they want to learn more about you as a performer and your review, where can they find you? I am on everything. Um, you can go to my website, auroranatrix.com. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Everything's all under the same name. Um, I also, I, I don't produce just one review. I have the Red Glitz review, which is my um, longest running review. I've done that show at Stash for about four or five years, and our next one is November 30th. Uh, but I also produce a monthly show at the Wilder in Fort Lauderdale, which is called Wilder Burlesque, and it's uh, a more of an intimate show as opposed to a stage um, cabaret experience. Uh, so there's, there's plenty of avenues, and you can also, through my website, there's a booking form where you can inquire for either booking me for private events or for classes if you want to learn how to do burlesque. Well, like I said, I know that uh, your schedule is tight and uh, we've been working on this for quite a while. So I want to thank you again for taking the time out to speak. And I, you know, regardless of where the journey takes you, I wish you much success in all you do. And hopefully we'll be able to go out and see a show sometime. Yeah, I'd I'd love that. Come on out. I should also note... um that we have on Facebook South Florida Burlesque, which all the burlesque producers down here um, have access to, and they, we all post our shows. Um, so there's some really great troops. I work a lot with Moon River Cabaret, Erica Moon Productions, Cupcake Burlesque. Um, there's also Cocktails and Cabaret, which is run by Sunny Stevens. So we have a really fantastic community. So don't just look up my show. Also check out South Florida Burlesque and see what else is out there. We have something for everybody. All right. So ladies and gentlemen, this was Aurora Natrix. And once again, you can find her on auroranatrix.com. I'm sure that they can Google you, right? And everything will come up. Yes, as long as you do Natrix like a dominatrix and not like the movie, Matrix. <laughs> right, that's N as in Nancy, A-T yes. as in Tom, R-I-X. Correct. All right. Well, like I said, much success in all you do. Thank you very much for having us. And once again, this is the Kevin Johnson program. And we'd like to thank you very much for listening. And as always, you can find us on anchor.fm forward slash KevJohnPro. We're also on Facebook and Twitter under in uh, under KevJohnPro. And once again, as always, don't forget to support your local community. Take care.